All right, so um, we are in a, a, an Advent uh, series for this month of, of December, and um, uh, I'll, start, I'll start with this. I, I remember in the 80s, um, so in, in this room, I'm like the old guy. Uh, in the first service, I'm just the young punk, but I'm the old guy in this service. And so I remember in the 80s watching football with my dad. And, uh, you know, when it was time for uh, a field goal, for the extra point, the, the camera would be focused on the goal post. And uh, there's one particular dude who decided to strategically place himself behind the goal post so he can get on television. And he would wear this big rainbow Afro wig that was like this big, all rainbow colors. And he'd hold up a sign. Do you guys remember seeing that? Yeah? Okay, so it's not just me. All the old people here know what I'm, what I'm talking about. And what was on the sign? John 3.16. That's exactly right. The most famous verse in the Bible, the most well-known verse in the Bible. Is there anybody here who can say it from memory? Anyone here say it from memory? Who? You? Can you say it? Go for it. Yes, that's awesome. Very good, man. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, well, well done. Well, the, the English Standard Version uh, puts it this way. If we can put it up on, on the screen, we might have some uh, tip. Oh, there it is. This is how the ESV says it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You get an A+. Very, very good. What this verse right here is telling us is that, that God so greatly loved the world, that God so dearly cherished the world, that he gave up his only begotten son, his unique son, that whoever believes in Jesus, whoever trusts in Jesus, whoever relies on Jesus, shall not perish, shall not come to destruction, shall not be lost, but shall have life, eternal life, life the way it was meant to be. And that begins now, and we grow in it, and it comes to its completion when we're in, in glory uh, with, with um, God the Father after our time in this world is over. Now, now here's, here's what I've experienced, or here's what I've picked up on, is that when, when people hear that verse, usually what kind of comes to people's mind, what, it, what it, it, it makes them think of is how God gave his son up uh, uh, you know, to die for us on the cross. And so we think of the crucifixion on, on Good Friday, or we think of the resurrection on Easter. And you know what? When we hear that verse, we should be thinking about uh, those things naturally. But here's the thing. John 3.16 is also absolutely about Christmas. Absolutely about, we cannot and should not separate Christmas from Good Friday and, and Easter. Because Good Friday and Easter is what makes Christmas so important. There would be no Good Friday or Easter without Christmas. So, after Jesus rose from the dead, and before he ascended into heaven, 
he commissioned his disciples, the ones that were there, but also this carries on to us today. All of the disciples from generation to generation, he has commissioned his disciples to proclaim to all of the world that Jesus is the Savior of the world and to make more disciples, followers of Jesus. And he specifically calls Peter and John to minister to the people of Israel who rejected and crucified Jesus. You know, these people who, they they knew the story of Adam and Eve. They knew about the fall into sin and the curse of sin that carried from uh, generation to generation. But then they also knew and had great hope in the fact that that God promised to send a Savior, to send a Messiah to conquer the curse of sin and death and eternal judgment. But Christmas came, along with it, the the arrival of this deliverer, this Messiah that they've been waiting for, and Christmas was lost on them. They did not recognize him. They, they had their own idea of what their deliverer would look like. They had their own idea of what their Messiah would, would look like. Someone who was powerful, maybe wealthy. Someone who could dismantle the government that had oppressed them. Someone who would wield his power and, and put Israel back on top of the world again. Not this poor carpenter's son from this one-horse town in the sticks. This guy who claimed to be God. I mean, this Jesus guy must be crazy, or he must be a blaspheming liar. Well, they went with blaspheming liar, and they crucified him. And so Peter and John, they are sent to minister to these people to let them know what they just did. Hey, everyone, you know that Messiah that we've been waiting for all this time? You killed him, just so you know. You crucified him. And they were bold about it. But then they would tell them about the good news of Jesus and his grace. And you know what? They were not only bold, they too were humble as well because they knew that it was necessary for God the Son uh, to die and pay for their sin as, as well. In today's passage, Acts chapter 3 Peter addresses these people, and here's what he tells them. He begins by quoting Moses, which they would be familiar with, but he's putting the words of Moses in context now in light of, you know, redemptive history and what God was up to with Jesus. Peter says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And that's the end of the quote. And then Peter goes on to say, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, I just, I just lost it, and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham... And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
God, having raised up this servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, here's my hope for you, my, my prayer for you, for all of us. That before we leave here this morning, before you leave here this morning, my, my prayer is that this passage right here convinces you that, that God is actively moving toward you with great blessing. Now, I'm not talking about God's going to work out your best life now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that, that if you claim it, you'll get that promotion. You claim it, you'll get that new car or that, that, that boat that you want or, or any of that kind of stuff. We're not talking about that. That's chump change compared to how God wants to bless you. I hope you're convinced of that by the time that, that we're done, that God is actively moving towards you to bless you. In the, midst of, in the middle of our broken lives in this broken uh, world, he's moving towards you in blessing. He's offering you a blessing far beyond what you are experiencing right now, and it is available to you. And the truth is, this, if you are drawn to him in faith, if you believe in his you know, tidings of comfort and joy that we sing about, and, and the goodwill that he has toward you, and if... Uh, he is your hope, and if he is your gift to treasure, then you will know and you will experience the blessings of God. What this passage teaches us this morning is that God brought Jesus onto the scene of history to bless his people. Jesus is our blessing. God said to his son, before he came, the time is now. I have promised great blessing to my people, and it's time to make good on that promise. You will be my ambassador of blessing. I want the blessing to come to the world. I have so much to give, so go now and bless my people, and then bless all of the families of the earth through my people. Bless them, bless them, bless them. And we see that. Verse 25 and 26, Peter says, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And God sent him to bless you by turning you away from wickedness. Now, now when verse 26 says that God sent Jesus to bless the people of Israel, um, it says that God sent, you know, Jesus to Israel first, right? And then verse 25 makes it clear that this was God's aim, God's goal, God's desire in the covenant that he made with Abraham to bless the offspring of all the families of the earth. Blessings for the Jews first and then blessings for, for the rest of the, the earth. And that sounds nice, right? Like a nice thought or something. But here's what I want you to know. This promise, this, it means that, that God's blessing includes you today. God is moving toward you, has been actively moving toward you in blessing. You are in verse 25, okay? He had you in mind even before he created the heavens and the earth. You are in verse 25, 
God made this promise to Abraham 4,000 years ago, made good on that promise 2,000 years ago with the birth of Jesus, and that promise and that blessing are so powerful that it carries on to you today. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't matter if that happened 2,000 years ago because we know that with God, 1,000 years is like a day. So for him, it's like he made that promise last Friday afternoon. So that is how available this blessing is for you today. If you are drawn to him in faith, you will know and experience his blessing. This is why that first Christmas happened in the first place. This is what Christmas is all about. Now, people throw that word blessing around a lot, don't they? And, and it's not the most exciting word. And I think for, for a lot of people, blessing can be like some vague uh, religious terminology that, that doesn't have any uh, real uh, power to it. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to unpack three things that we see in this text that, that are part of the blessing that God has for you today. When God the Father sent Jesus on that first Christmas, what what blessing is it that he brought? What does Peter teach in this particular text? If you're taking notes, the first point is this. The, The birth of Jesus is a blessing because Jesus came to us to prove God's truthfulness. We, whether you know this right now or not, this is critical. This makes all the difference in the world, all the difference in eternity. Jesus came to prove God's truthfulness. In other words, Jesus proves that God always and only tells us the truth. It means that God is always and only trustworthy. God always always keeps his promises. And you know what? Peter piles up references to this promise in verse 22. Peter says that Moses predicted a future prophet like himself. And in verse 24, he says, all the prophets from Samuel on down proclaim these days, the days of of Jesus. And verse 25, he says that God made a promise to Abraham about these days. And the point is that when Jesus is born, when Jesus shows up, he confirms the truth of God's promises. Jesus shows us that God is trustworthy. He keeps his word. You can count on it. You can't count on anything else, can you? You can count on this. Here's how Paul put it in Romans chapter 15. He says, remember that Christ came as a servant to his people to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. It is crystal clear. Christmas means that God can be trusted. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that this is part of the blessing that he brings to you. Now, It's obvious, I think, that it's a blessing because where the truthfulness of God is rejected and and where the trustworthiness of God is, is rejected, moral life disintegrates. Spiritual life disintegrates. The the very foundation for the life God calls us to live is God's 
word, if we reject the centrality of his word, his promises, we are rejecting the very foundation of truth, the foundation of all that is right and all that is beautiful. So Christmas, my hope is that Christmas should remind us that God is trustworthy. Only God's truthfulness is the constant in our world of instability and unrest. God's truthfulness is an unwavering absolute. You can count on it. And without it, your personal life and political life and social life and educational life and and family life is just simply at the mercy of, of the wind and the waves of human desire. God keeps his promises. He does not lie. You can count on it. And what that means for you is that you can rest. You can rest. You can rest in your relationship with him. Now, when we talk like that about God, it it, it feels, I don't know, it's easy to kind of feel disconnected. So let let me describe it this way. Um, I thank God for my wife, uh, Shannon. Most amazing. If you know Shannon, you know how amazing she is, right? Um, By the way, it's her birthday today, which is awesome. Uh, She's not feeling well today, uh, but, you know, if you think of it, maybe wish her a happy birthday. Um, I don't deserve someone that amazing. I love her with all my heart. And it turns out that Shannon actually loves me too, which is pretty cool. You know how I know? She told me. And at first I thought she was just being nice. But she shows me through her encouragement. She shows me by her acts of sacrificial service. She shows me by her never-ending loyalty. She shows me by the time, by the, the quality time and amount of time that she spends with me. She shows me by her affection. She shows me by giving me more respect than I deserve. So when she says that she loves me, as you know, crazy as that is, I take her word for it. Her word is rock solid. She's proven it over and over and over again. And so that means that I have a rest. I have a peace in our relationship because of that. And it makes me want to be even more loving toward her. And that's how this works. Jesus demonstrates the truthfulness of God and it's a life-changing blessing. It's a blessing that changes absolutely everything. It's what makes us 
know God and experience God. It fills us with hope when things fall apart. It fills us with God's strength when our flesh is just absolutely weak. It fills us with love for others, even those that we wouldn't normally love. And it fills us with relief because he said that he'd send a savior and he made good on his word and he sent us Jesus. You know, by the way, how... How in the world can we keep this good news to ourselves? I mean, we have seen that God's word is rock solid because he's proven it. So we can depend on him. And so naturally, we're going to want the people that we love to know this too. Our friends and our family and our children and our children's children. That's how God shares his, this rest and this peace with others. And then everything begins to change. It's how God advances his kingdom. Second blessing of Jesus is that Jesus came to us to be our great prophet, the greatest prophet. Jesus shows us the truth that leads us to life. Life in Jesus and how to live out that life in Jesus. He he reveals, Jesus reveals the truth of God and he reveals the God of, of truth. The birth of Jesus is a blessing because he comes to us like, as a prophet, like Moses, but a greater Moses. Look at verse 22 again. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Jesus is that prophet that Moses was talking about so long ago. Jesus fulfills that promise. Now, I, it can be tempting to think something like, you know, I don't think that's a blessing at all. Because Moses was a lawgiver, not a grace giver. I don't want another Moses. I want something that cancels out Moses, that cancels out, out the law. I want grace. I, I know that sentiment, that temptation, well. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that we need to know just how much grace we need to appreciate grace. We spend so much of our lives just not thinking about it or or, or just being oblivious about our our, our need uh, for, for grace. And so we don't turn to Jesus for grace. But the reality is, whether we think about it or not or believe it or not, we are desperate for God's grace. And so Jesus gives us a diagnosis. And one of the ways he does it is that he gives us his, his law. This, this desire, I want the law canceled out, I want grace, is, is short-sighted. Because you know what? Peter thinks that he's given good news here. And you know what? He is. One like Moses has come to us. The promise is fulfilled. And Peter didn't see a, a, a conflict between the grace of Jesus and the teachings of Moses. The truth is we need a prophet like Moses to bless us by opening our eyes to the truth of God. I've seen maybe, I don't know, three or four uh, different uh, like YouTube videos that pop up on social media, all with kind of the, the same theme, the same situ- situation. Um, and it usually involves one person who is colorblind. And uh, I just saw a new one uh, last night, but the one that I saw multiple times on my fe- 
if he'd involved this, this man who was in his 50s or so, somewhere around there, who was colorblind his, his, whole, his whole life. And then on his birthday, friends and family, they, they all chipped in to get him a gift, and they had him, they're videotaping him, open the gift, and, and he takes out this pair of sunglasses, and he's a little confused, like, cool, yeah, thank you very much, and you're videotaping this and everything. And they're like, put it on, put them on. So he unfolds them, and he, he puts them on, and you see him shake. He's like stunned. And they, he takes them off like right away. And people start kind of giggling and laughing. And then he puts them back on. And then he begins to weep. Because for the very first time in his life, he saw color. He, he saw what the world looks like with, with color. It's like going from black, a film that goes from black and white to like the Wizard of Oz. The first part was all black and white and then they're in Oz and boom, everything's like these beautiful colors. I mean, that's what he experienced, but it was like real life for him. And he was just absolutely blown away. And in all the videos that, uh, that I've watched, the reaction is the same. It's so beautiful. They, they weep because they could see how every, beautiful everything. What a blessing that is. If God's truthfulness is the foundation of all truth, if it's the foundation of all goodness, if it is the foundation of, of, of all beauty, then we need someone to help us see God's truth. And Jesus does this for us. On our own, we are blind to it. We cannot know God. We cannot know his way unless the prophet intervenes for us and shows us, opens our eyes to it. Jesus shows us when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is what I mean by him being a greater Moses. He doesn't just show us the way. He is the way. He is the truth giver, the life giver, the way shower. This is not the opposite of grace. This is grace. Grace not only forgives us of our sin, and a few verses earlier it says it wipes out, grace wipes out our sin, but grace also does something else. It shows us the path to life, life in Jesus, and then how we respond and live out that life. See, we, we not only need Jesus as our priest, we need him as our prophet. And Moses reminds us, and Peter reminds us what Moses said, listen to everything he says. He loves you and wants the best for you. If every lifestyle led to paradise, then maybe we wouldn't need this prophet Jesus to show us the, the way, the truth, and the life. But that's not the case. Because apart from the truth, the word, Jesus, they lead to destruction. That's why in verse 23, um, Peter reminds us of, what, of Moses' warning. He says, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from, from the people. I read that, and my first reaction is, ow, man, that's, you know, put a little sugar on that or something. 
This is gracious warning, though. Let me explain. We are told that there is a narrow way that leads to life, and there is a broad way that leads to destruction. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 7. And God sent Jesus, a greater Moses, to lead us on the narrow way to life and then warn us, to warn us against the broad way to destruction. So, imagine this. Imagine you are a, a, a soldier in Afghanistan, all right? And you realize that, that the enemy is, is closing in. You're going to be overrun. And the only way out is through a valley, and you have one soldier who's telling you this is where you need to go. Uh, so you need to follow me and you need, need to know that there are landmines scattered all throughout the valley. So you need to follow me so that you won't blow yourself up. Right? We, we want him to tell us if he knows the way. We want him, since he knows the way, you want him to tell us to follow him. We want him to tell us that, that we will be blown to pieces if we don't follow him. We would not say, you're being so legalistic. I'm going to go my own way. I think this way is the right way. Boom. We wouldn't think that he was ungracious or unkind or unloving or, or narrow-minded or legalistic for him to say, follow me, I know the way. We would know that he is saving our lives. We can trust him. He's proven it. Follow him. In fact, it's gracious that he demands that we follow him and warn us of the destruction if we ignore him and don't follow him. So this is, this is what Peter is saying here. Jesus is the greater Moses who shows us the way, calls us to follow him, to trust him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Trust him and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because he is the truth. That's the second blessing. Christmas means God is truthful. Jesus is our greater prophet that was promised to us that leads us to life and to save us from destruction and then lastly Jesus came to us to turn us from wickedness in verse 26 Peter says God having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness so turning people from uh, their, their, their wickedness um, is not God being a killjoy. It's not God saying, I really don't want you to have that much fun. He's not saying, I'm just trying to, you know, um, make you j jump through, through hoops and see if you can navigate this, this, this brutal obstacle course of, of life. No, it says he did this, he turns us from our wickedness to bless you, to bless us. Jesus comes us not only to, to show us the truth of God, but to work that truth into our hearts by, by graciously turning us away from evil. And how does he do that? Well, Peter tells us in the same book later, he says, God cleansed their hearts by faith. Faith 
is the instrument of God's cleaning, the instrument by which he turns us from our wickedness. And later in the same book, the Apostle Paul says that we are sanctified by faith. And that simply means that, that, that we are changed to become more like Jesus by faith in Jesus. Faith is God's instrument not only, by, not only for salvation, but faith is God's instrument for life transformation. A faith is the way that he turns us from our, our wickedness because he gives us eyes to see that Jesus is enough and we don't need to be you know, searching for, for a being okay or search for, for comfort or search for security and anything else that destroys us anyway. It's faith knowing that Jesus is enough. We believe that Jesus came to live for us and to die for us, to reunite us with God the Father, to conquer evil, death, and judgment for us, all out of sheer grace. You know what that does for us if we get that? It makes us want to become more loyal to him. It makes us want to, to love him more. It makes us want to become more like him. It makes us want to live for him. That is a powerful blessing. This is why I said at the beginning that God is, he moves toward us with blessing. And if you're drawn to him, if you trust him in all things, even in the midst of, of brokenness, you can still know and experience the blessing of Jesus. Jesus empowers us to turn from and overcome wickedness. Faith in him is what turns us away from evil because Jesus is our blessing. Jesus himself is our blessing. Christmas means that God is truthful. Greater Moses shows us God's truth and you know what? He doesn't just show us the way and then just stand aside and wait for us to mess up, to scoff at us and to slap us upside the head. That's not what he's all about. Instead, he joins us on the way. He gets involved with our lives by his spirit, and he actively works the truth into our hearts to turn us from wickedness. You know, that, that's, that's what the Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews says. I use this as a benediction quite often. Maybe you recognize it. Um, it says, now may the God of peace... Who, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. See, this, this is the difference between the new Moses, Jesus, and the distorted view of the old Moses that the religious leaders created. This, this legalism, this distorted view of the law, a distorted view of Moses, destroys lives and destroys souls. That's why Jesus said to the religious leaders, how terrible it will be for you experts in religious law 
Woe to you, teachers of the law, for you crush people beneath impossible religious demands and you never lift a finger to help ease the burden. Jesus is not like that. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Because he not only puts it on, he also empowers us. He shows us the way of righteousness and he turns us from the way of wickedness. What a blessing. This is the gift of Jesus. So the Christmas season, I, I pray that you know that God is actively moving toward you in blessing. You are among the families of the earth mentioned in verse 25. The promise of blessing is for you. And Jesus offers this blessing to you today as a gift. He came to you to prove God's truthfulness. It's a precious gift, and I plead with you uh, to, to receive it or to see it with new eyes. Believe that God keeps his promises. God tells the truth. He can be trusted. His word is rock solid. And Jesus came to us to be our great prophet. He reveals the truth of God and the God of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is a reliable guide through the minefield of sin and destruction, and he will lead you to the promised land. You can trust him. And he will turn us from the wickedness that we look to that ends up destroying ourselves and others. He doesn't just point, do this, don't do that. He empowers. He's not just kicking back, watching us struggle. Jesus is with us every single step of the way. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you to, that you sent Jesus to, to bless us. God, I pray that, that you would give us uh, new eyes to see what a blessing Jesus himself is to us. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would make that more, more real to us as we reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We know that it is the gospel that is the power of God, not just to save us, but to also change us. And so help us to turn to you and to trust you in all things. That even in the midst of brokenness, that we would look to you and trust you to be our rock who is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Give us eyes to see your truth. We pray these things in your name.